welcome to the Big Fat Gay Podcast, where we talk about the things that are weighing on our minds. My name is Dan Oliverio, and I'm an author, public speaker, and chubby chaser. Um, this is one of our mini episodes during our July 2020 hiatus. We felt we needed a bit of a break after season one, but we didn't want to disappear entirely. So we'll be delivering some smaller episodes like this one, just tidbits from each of our four co-hosts. And today, it's my turn. A lot of people have asked about my book and my seminars and how I got started speaking publicly and in the media about the world of chubby chaser relationships and dating. So I thought I'd talk a little bit about that and then read a short excerpt from my book entitled The Round World, Life at the Intersection of Love, Sex and Fat. When I first started going to chub chaser events, I noticed there was this gulf between chubs and chasers. Like they were sort of alien species, like the kind of Venus Mars things you hear about between men and women. But of course, everybody in the room was man. It occurred to me as strange that this should be the case when, you know, we're all kind of there for the same thing. And I started leading seminars about relationship. I'd had a background in that. And I started talking about what's on both sides of that. And that eventually led me to leading in front of straight groups. There, there were some straight women in the audience one time and at one of these groups, they were part of the vendors hall and they asked me to start speaking at their groups. And then that built into an invitation to go to Germany and, and talk over there. And when I was in Germany, the request was that because I have a theater background that I also incorporate some physical work. And so I started thinking in new dimensions outside, outside just the linguistic aspect of relationships. And so that led into other different kinds of seminars that I do now. Uh, then I was at a Chub Chaser event and they wanted, they said, oh, you, sh you should definitely do a, a diet and fitness seminar. I'm like, no, 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 I shouldn't. And they go, no, yo, you really should because you're so fit and you're so in shape and people would love to hear about that. And I'm like, I don't think they want to hear about that on their vacation. But I did come up with a way to talk about that because it was an issue in the room. The, the health conversation is never far behind the fat conversation. And so I wanted to find a way to talk about that in an empowering way. And so I came up with a seminar that looks at people's relationships with their food, not what you should eat. I have no interest in telling people what to eat, but just like, how do you relate to food? How do you relate to movement? Which is what I call exercise, because exercise is just the name we get for movement we don't want to do or feel we have a duty to do. And eventually I started speaking at youth seminars, uh, gay uh, LGBTQAI uh, seminars uh, in Southern California, uh, incredible kids for aged like 14 to 21, really grappling with their sexuality. And part of that for a lot of us is body image and size. And throughout all of this, people kept asking like, do you have a book? You have a book, right? Oh, is there a book? I love the seminar. Is there a book I can read? And I was like, I guess I should write a book. Uh, so that's something that I did. And I, uh, the book came out in 2016. Uh, it's been doing fairly well. It's gotten very enthusiastic reviews and positive reviews, I should say. And something that's really important to me in fat advocacy is getting chubby chasers more comfortable in their advocacy. And that starts with chubby chasers coming out of the closet. Uh, which is something that chubby chasers to some extent have to do. For some people, it's easy. For some people, it's <laughs> still a work in progress. Because as chubby chasers, we have the potential to really be incredibly powerful allies for fat people. And this is also part of our own self-expression and our living more fully in the world. And so I thought I would read an excerpt from my book that talks a little bit about that. For most gay people, coming out of the closet is an important rite of passage. 
For some, it's easy. For some, it's hard. For some, it's shattering. Coming out is a transformation that takes us out of secrecy or self-ignorance and sets us on a course to self-awareness and hopefully even wisdom. Gay men and women know what it's like to come out, but gay people attracted to fat people have not one but two closets from which to emerge. And coming out the second time as a chaser feels very similar to coming out as gay. In fact, gay chasers who've told their family and friends that they prefer fat men or fat women, they often say, oh my God, it feels exactly like when I came out as gay. So for gays, coming out as a chaser is walking already trodden ground. However, if you're straight, you've probably never had to come out of a closet in your life. In fact, I emphasize in my seminars that if you're a white guy attracted to fat women, you probably have no experience to prepare you for this sort of coming out. It's your first run. Never had a conversation with your family or friends about not being, you know, straight white male. And that can be a big hurdle. We, as gays, at least get a little practice run at that. Usually, usually we come out as gay before we come out as chasers, but not always. Just as some gay men choose to live their lives as if they were straight, some chasers, gay or straight, choose to live life as if they were attracted to thin people. In other words, as if they were just like the majority. In the black community, being culturally black but having skin light enough to be perceived as white is called passing. Chasers, too, can pass. We look like the rest of the population, except for our unique proclivity for loving fat. Being able to pass for a member of the majority makes life seem more comfortable. On the other hand, by passing ourselves off as quote-unquote normal, we cut ourselves off from others. Pretending to be other than we are cheats us of the intimacy and authenticity with those we love. Not only that, but staying in a self-imposed closet cheats us of the challenges and opportunities that would lead to fulfillment and self-discovery. Fat people, on the other hand, have the opposite experience. If you're fat, everyone knows it. No fat teen has ever sat his parents down and said, Mom, Dad, I can't keep this from you any longer. I I'm fat. And if you've been fat since childhood, you probably have an effective way of dealing with the fact that you don't fit into a thin world. You might become the class clown or the hyper intellectual or the good listener. None of these tactics is unique to fat people, of course. They are common ways of coping with the fact that other people often don't seem to accept one's worth at face value. Chasers, however, can pass. We don't develop social strategies for dealing with our desires because no one can see our secret. In fact, some of us don't look too carefully into who we are because we're afraid of what we might find. Most chasers are not eager to embrace this part of themselves. Nevertheless, being a chaser is a hidden stigma that manifests itself in most social situations, whether you're gay or straight. John E. Panchikas of the Yale School of Public Health makes the point that people who pass are not necessarily any more free than those who can't. He says, Many assume that individuals with a hidden stigma escape the difficulties faced by individuals with a visible stigma. However, recent research has shown that individuals with a concealable stigma also face considerable stressors and psychological challenges. The ambiguity of social situations combined with the threat of potential discovery makes possessing a concealable stigma a difficult predicament for many individuals. Even so, when we chasers know we're attracted to fat, we often don't develop the skill to stand up to a world that thinks we're abnormal, sexually deviant, or just plain crazy. Instead, we may develop strategies for concealing our attraction to fatness, perhaps even from ourselves. As any gay person knows, you can't come out to others until you've accepted yourself. But even if we are secure in what we like, it's often just plain dangerous to come out and say we're attracted to fat people. In fact, the person we're dating probably wants to hear at least of anyone, no matter what his or her size. No, it's far safer that we say, if pressed, that we like people of all shapes and sizes. And a chaser might even manage to convince himself of this. 
And to be sure, most chasers have dated people in a wide range of body sizes. I certainly have. But as many people have said to guys, you know, just because you've dated women, that doesn't make you straight. Chasers are often blind to what we find attractive, in part because we don't want to find out that we're attracted to fat. We don't want it to be the yardstick of our attraction, the defining characteristic of our relationships. Consequently, many chasers refuse to consider it as a legitimate attraction or even as relevant to their sexuality. To the degree that chasers believe that fatness is a stigma, we believe that being attracted to fat people is a stigma. Even if our link to that taboo is not exposed, we often don't deal with our fears around sex and intimacy because they're part of the taboo of fat. So many of us gratefully ride the tide of normalcy. No one suspects that the good-looking quarterback secretly pines for the huge fat nerd in math class. No one suspects that the handsome real estate mogul is cheating on his gorgeous wife with a 350-pound ex-cop who smells of cigars. No one notices that the cute, shy guy in the corner can't take his eyes off the slow, jostling rolls of a beautiful fat girl as she waddles past. Our desires are invisible. We are cloaked in the illusion of normality. And in many cases, we like it that way. Deep down, however, many happy-go-lucky chasers are dealing with the guilt and shame of fat. The guilt of, how can I love something that's so fundamentally unhealthy? The shame of, what kind of sicko gets a hard-on for rolls of fat? The slings and arrows that society aims at fat people are the same artillery that many chasers fire at themselves. Coming out of the fat closet. I used to think that only chasers had to deal with coming out of the fat closet, until a woman in one of my seminars in Germany showed me that I was mistaken. I was speaking to a group of mostly straight fat women in Berlin about chasers coming out of the closet, and she reminded me that fat people often have the same problem. Fat people aren't in the closet about being fat. Their closet is the silent taboo of being fat, the unspeakable stigma that must not be acknowledged. Many fat people are quite aware of their size and comfortable in their bodies. If the chair that's offered them in a restaurant has arms that are too confining, they simply say so and ask for one that will accommodate. To be in the closet about being fat is to pretend that the chair is fine and that there is no discomfort in having your hips and thighs in a vice. Being in the fat closet means being deeply and secretly wounded that the host asked you whether the chair was comfortable. Being closeted about being fat means never hearing the word fat spoken in your presence because everyone around you knows that you would find it obscene. Ultimately, coming out is not just a boon to the growth and development of the person coming out. It benefits the entire community. I was working on a play with a group of actors I had never worked with before. I don't make a big announcement about being attracted to fat guys, but dating and relationships come up naturally in conversation if you don't actually avoid it. If people see pictures of your past boyfriends, if they ask where you spent the holiday weekend, or if they hear that you've appeared on television, as I have, then my sexual attractions eventually surface in the conversation. Most people become quite curious, and I consider the ensuing conversation to be outreach for the round world. Liz was one of the actors I was working with, and she became quite interested in how an in-shape guy would want to date fat men. She asked a lot of great questions, and we had some good discussions. And a few weeks later, Liz came up to me at rehearsal and said, Dan, I I've got to thank you. I noticed something that I never noticed before. So Liz lives a short walk from the beach, and she spotted a couple of guys sitting in the sand being affectionate with each other. One of the guys was young and good-looking, and the other was older and very fat. And she says, before I met you, I would have always just assumed that the big guy was just being taken advantage of. How sad that this young gigolo is preying on an older guy who is grateful for the attention. I had never considered the possibility, she said, that they could actually be mutually attracted to each other, that they could even be in love. I get versions of this response a lot. 
I was working with a director who said that he wanted to do a production of Romeo and Juliet in which one or both of the young lovers was really fat. He explained that when the audience saw the fat couple kissing on stage, that would prove that that was real love and not just lust because obviously they couldn't be attracted to each other physically. I had to explain that one to him. One last example. I remember introducing a professional acquaintance of mine to my boyfriend at the time who was quite fat. I hadn't talked about my taste in men, and when my boyfriend was out of earshot, he says to me, wow, I guess I never realized that even good-looking guys can have self-esteem issues. He had tacitly reasoned that since I was with a fat guy, I clearly had no idea that I was worth more and could do better. So what do all these stories have in common? They share the premise that fat is the opposite of sex. One precludes the other. So as chasers, we have a lot of rowing to do against the current. Moreover, since we are born into a culture that believes that fat is the opposite of sex, we have to find some way of reconciling that on a personal level before we're ready to share it with friends and family and the world at large. Yet I believe it is through coming out to friends and family as chasers that we will ultimately shift the conversation about fat. By coming out about our attraction and our appreciation of fat bodies, we may someday come to see that fat is simply a characteristic instead of a judgment. Beyond Shame and Blame I was leading one of my seminars on fatness and sexuality, and I asked if there was a chaser in the group who could talk a little bit about what it's like for him to be near a fat guy. This was a mixed crowd, mostly gay, mostly fat, but it included some chasers and some straight women. Stuart raised his hand. He was a slight man in his mid-twenties, very sweet, very meek. He talked about one of his early experiences discovering his sexuality. He had spotted an incredibly attractive fat guy, and he was in awe. He watched the fat guy, relished how he moved, how he laughed with his friends, but Stuart didn't dare say anything to the man. He wasn't even sure the guy was gay. The fat man ambled away down the street, and Stuart felt compelled to follow him. He was drawn to the beauty of this man and couldn't bear to let him out of his sight. At this point, I asked in the seminar if there were any other chasers who had done this, and a whole bunch of hands went up. The chubs were a little, hmm, weirded out. He followed the man for blocks always remaining at a discreet distance so as not to be noticed. And again, the chubs are getting increasingly uncomfortable because it sounds like stalking. It t this story felt a touch creepy. So I intervened. I said, why didn't you go up to the man, Stuart? And Stuart says, what do you mean? And I said, well, why didn't you go up and introduce yourself to this guy if you were attracted to him? And several of the chubs in the room also muttered a strong agreement. Most of them seemed to feel somewhat slighted. If these chases are out there, why don't they make themselves known? And Stuart says, he was so beautiful. I couldn't. Why would a guy like that be interested in me? He was way out of my league. I couldn't have handled the rejection. And so the audience gets this. And I say, what did the guy look like, Stuart? And Stuart says, I, I don't know. He was big and really handsome. And his voice trailed off. And I sensed he wasn't used to talking about his attraction to fat guys, much less the specific parts of their body that attracted him. So I asked him, Okay, is there a guy in the room who maybe looks a bit like the guy you're talking about? And he squirms, you know, um, I don't know. I guess he kind of looked like that guy over there. And Stuart flushed red, and so did the guy he was pointing to. Stuart pointed to Kevin, a balding man in his 50s with a button nose, kind eyes, dapper beard, big belly that easily put him over 300 pounds. And Kevin began to tear up. He began to cry. And so I turned to him now. And I said, what did you think of that, Kevin? And he said, I, I can't believe it. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, I can't believe that I could be that for someone. I can't believe that this attractive young guy would get all hung up over a guy who looked like me. 
And I said, have you ever encountered that before, Kevin? He says, no, not that I was conscious of, but it does explain now why a lot of guys seem to be interested in me online, but then don't follow through. And so then I turned back to Stuart. Would you ever contact a guy like Kevin online? And he says, yeah, definitely. And I said, would you ever set up a dinner date with him? And he goes, me? Oh, no. I said, too scary? And he said, yeah, I wouldn't know how to do something like that. So the group of fat men was flabbergasted. So many of them had assumed that they were the ones who were supposed to be shy and intimidated. It had never occurred to them that they were the supermodels, that they were the movie stars, that they were the impossible dream. So, of course, some were equally flabbergasted that something as simple as asking for a date could be a problem for someone who seemed intelligent and otherwise competent. For some, it was the first time that they didn't feel the world's pity and shame focused on them. For the first time, they saw that it was a chaser who lacked the requisite confidence, poise and grace. I drove this point home to the group by saying, I know that in a society that looks down on fat people, it seems only fair that a chaser should be required to make the first move. But just because we're not fat doesn't mean we're any better at making the first move than you are. It doesn't mean we like rejection any more than you do. And you might remember that the next time a guy you're not attracted to hits on you or hits you up online for a date. Stewart's story doesn't represent all chasers, but there are many guys like Stewart out there, gay or straight, chaser or not. His story is hardly unique. I think my interaction with Stuart in that seminar illustrates the upside down nature of the round world. It's a great example of what sort of crazy thing happens when you invert the axiom that fat is the opposite of sex. What happens when fat is synonymous with sex, that fat is sexy. In the next part of the book, I talk about how chasers see fatness and what we see when we're attracted to a fat person. So that's it for me for this week. Uh, next week, you'll be hearing from one of our other co-hosts about something near and dear to them in the Chub Chaser world. Thanks for listening. And if you're listening somewhere out there in public, uh, somewhere in, a, in the public space during quarantine, there may be a chaser sitting at a socially responsible distance from you. So look out. Look out.